Welcome back to our High Five, where we are celebrating five amazing things that God is doing through the life of one church. Here we go. Coming in at number five, on March 11th, a number of volunteers at One Church came together for a Share the Love event with our friends at Embrace Grace. The goal of the event is to be an encouragement to women who may soon visit a local pregnancy center to learn of their unplanned pregnancy. So our volunteers put together a bunch of care bags with gifts, items, and an invitation to the next group. So this high five goes out to all of those that participated. Way to be a voice of God's love and experience of God's love to those around us. Up at number four, a number of Rooted groups are well into their journey together. But today, I'm excited to share that a Rooted group of students began just this last week. The group is taking this 10-week journey to learn more about who God is and who they are in Christ and the purpose that they have in building his kingdom. So high five to young girls and guys growing strong roots in God's love. Here at number three, we have people from our Concord Outposts that have partnered with Gordon Conwell and some other local churches to provide technical resources for missionaries in Nigeria. You know, these gifts and these gadgets are really gonna help equip those missionaries to serve the people in those local communities. So we're sending this high five to our Concord Outposts. Way to go at supporting others who are sharing God's love with their ones. Number two, Easter, Easter, Easter. It is quickly approaching and we are so excited to celebrate with you in all of our ones. You know, you can join us online for service or you can join us in person at one of our outposts. All of those service times are on our website. So head over to church.one slash Easter to learn more about Easter weekend here at One Church. High five, my friends. This goes out to everyone praying for one and making ways to share God's love. And here at number one, a student from One Church, Evelyn, attended our Manchester Outpost for Worship last week and decided to respond to God with her yes in following him. And so having given her life to Jesus, she was baptized. This family high five goes out to you, Evelyn. We are praising God for what he's doing in your life today. My friends, thank you for joining us for this week's high five. We can't wait to celebrate with you in the next one. Last service at six o'clock. And okay, yeah, yeah, maybe a woo. It's different things, we're trying stuff out. But what strikes me is that we've been meeting together for a year, for one whole year. And this, that's crazy. I don't know about you, but, but God's been working in my life so much throughout this year. I've been so blessed to, to be able to come together with, with all of you every single Sunday to open up God's word, see the truth that he is there, to worship together, to be praying with each other, sharing joy, maybe also sharing some heartache, some difficulties as well. God's been opening up my mind so much to just what the, the, the truth of his family is, what the love of his family is. And to dive into, um, into tonight's message, one thing that God's been challenging a lot with me is to uh, sort of navigate my assumptions not just live life on any assumption that I might have. And working alongside John, that's definitely uh, very prevalent. I'll come in with something, I say something very as matter of fact, and he goes, really? You think that? I'm like, yeah, of course, it's like, yeah. He goes, oh, never thought of it that way. You ever think of this? No, that's why it's an assumption. Like, <laughs> I'm just learning more. We, we can often base our lives, go about our lives maybe on good or bad assumptions. And what's 
fantastic about Jesus and his ministry is that right from the get-go, Jesus questions our assumptions. Even from the start of his ministry on the Sermon on the Mount, we, we had assumptions and Jesus would address them. So even something as big as murder, you know, it's like, so it was said, do not commit murder. And you were like, yeah, uh, that's a big one, okay? If I didn't go through the day and didn't kill anybody, check box, like doing well. Jesus says, yeah, you've been told do not murder, but I say to you, even if you have anger or hatred in your heart, then you are subject to judgment. He goes on even more, like you've been told to love your enemies and hate, uh, sorry, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. And we're like, yeah, I'm gonna love who love me and I'm gonna hate who hates me, that makes sense. But then Jesus says, no, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And we've been seeing in this series time and time again where Jesus is turning the tables on our assumptions. So much so it's like, even in religion, we think that you gotta look a certain way, talk a certain way, act a certain way in order to enter into church, enter into religion, enter into God's family, but Jesus is saying no. Even like, oh, it's in this life you gotta get while you can while the getting's good, right? You only got one, live it up. That's what we're told, that might be an assumption, but we see that Jesus says, Nah, that's not true. We live our lives through bad assumptions, and I think we might notice that there are some bad assumptions, maybe even from an early age. Like when you were a kid, before you go to bed, you gotta check to see if there's monsters in the closet, all right? I assume that there's not monsters in the closet. You know that they're not real, but what do you still do? You still check. You still wanna make sure that you're not just basing your life on those assumptions, but then what makes it even better? An assumption then is clarified. There's certainty when mom and dad go and check to make sure there's no monsters in the closet. And we continue on even more throughout life that we have these assumptions. I don't know about you, but whenever I move, you know, there's certain checklists that you gotta get through when you move. There's certain things you gotta take care of. Like, there's some things you take care of right away, maybe like the internet or your mailing address, change the water bill, whatever it is. But then there's other stuff, like I noticed last time my wife and I moved, I held off on calling the pest guy. Because I assumed that we were fine. I would look around the house and like, I'm not seeing bugs crawling over the place. There's not mice galore, like there's no infestation. So I think we're good. But then one day, some of you are ahead of me. One day I'm at my desk and I put on my headphones that I have to get some work done. And they're the ones that sit over your ear, right? And I put them on and I heard some rattling. I heard what I thought was like a loose wire or a loose screw. I'm like, oh, well, that's weird. Is everything's still working. Like, what is that? So I take it off, I look inside, and out crawls a cockroach. Oh yeah, it was right there. I couldn't call the pest guy fast enough. It's like I had him on speed dial. Right, but still there's that time between when I call them and when they're gonna show up. So I wanna try to like get my assumptions in order here. Like, okay, I still don't see anything, we should be good. I look it up, find out that it's a wood roach and they're just outside, like they get inside the house. There's probably not an infestation. I live in the woods, it makes sense. But I'm still kinda on pins and needles here. But what puts me at ease, what makes everything okay is when the pest guy comes and he tells me for certain, after looking in the basement, after looking in the attic and in the walls, that there is indeed not any sort of infestation. See, we can base our life on assumptions, but then the assumptions kind of fade away when there's certainty involved, when we, what is revealed to us to be true. And that is what happens when we open up God's word, 
when we open up scripture to see what is there to be certain so that we don't need to live life based on these assumptions. Our memory verse highlights that for us. It's in Luke chapter 24, verse 45. It's up on the screen behind me if you want to read it along with me. It says this, then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. Opening up their minds. Understand it. Be certain about what is being said in God's word. And notice that it's, it's not that it's based on our understanding and our assumptions, but no, it's that he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. God revealing himself to us so that we can be certain and we don't have to base our lives on assumptions. Jesus was all about questioning our assumptions, making us look them right in the eye and check them out. And one thing that Jesus would often hit on in his ministry was the idea or the topic of wealth or money. I get people that come up to me and they're like, you know, all you talk about in church is money. All you talk about is wealth. Like, why is that? It's like, well, do you care about money? Not like uh, promoting it, like, I hope that you don't, but at some point we all have to deal with finances. It's a part of our lives and Jesus knows that. So Jesus talks about it and he addresses this assumption that we might have, maybe this wrong assumption, indeed this wrong assumption that earthly wealth means heavenly rewards. Earthly wealth means heavenly rewards. We think that what we got going on down here is gonna equate what's going on up above as well. We think that if we can store some things up here on earth, then we're going to be a-okay in what lies beyond. Now, as I'm saying this, maybe some scripture verses are coming to mind. It's like, no, we learn, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. You might learn that at a young age. You might have heard it recently, and we fall back on that, but then still we can find ourselves filling in our own assumptions, even though we know the truth. Maybe when we look at people, maybe when we look at ourselves as well. So I wanna try it out, little, little thought experiment here, see if you can fill in the blank with me. See, there's this guy, he's got, a, he's got a good job, and he's got a good car, lives in a good house in a good neighborhood, and his kids go to a good school. He's most likely a blank person, good. Good person. Maybe a blessed person. Maybe we look at someone like that, we think, oh man, just look how God is just blessing their lives. Look at all the blessings raining down. They, they got all this stuff, these good things, so therefore they're a good person. But then we can flip it as well. We look at somebody that might be in tougher situations. They got a bad job. They drive a bad car. They live in a bad house in a bad neighborhood and the kids go to a bad school. They must be a bad person maybe a punished person, thinking, what, what, they, what did they do? What happened there? We start to fill in these assumptions, maybe knowing the truth, but then filling in the assumptions where maybe we forget about the truth or choose not to look at it. So what we're looking at today is this story that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 16 in verse 19. It says this, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and in fine linen, lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, 
covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried in Hades where he was in torment. He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. Jesus is painting this picture of contrast between these two individuals. On one side here, we have the rich man. The rich man is living a life of luxury. He's eating fine foods every day for every meal. His garments are beautiful and purple. I thought that was a weird fact, so I looked it up. Turns out that the dye used to make purple garments was very rare and very expensive. It was said that a pound of purple wool cost more than what most people would make in a year. So you have this guy over here, this one guy eating fine foods, right? Finely clothed purple garment dude here. But then over here we have... Lazarus, Lazarus, what did you do? That you got these sores all over your body that the dogs lick. And like, oh, do the dogs, are they bringing the scraps, the leftovers, the garbage from the rich man's table? He's living outside by this gate. Lazarus, what happened? So we have our assumptions sort of lined up, thinking the rich man probably did something right. Rich man's good, he, he's sort of deserving of all these different things, and then Lazarus, who's we might be thinking, is getting what he deserves. And as we have these assumptions, then Jesus comes in and, and drops this bombshell in the middle of the story. It's like, okay, let's set the scene, let's see the contrast, and then let's see what happens when we have those assumptions here. That both men die. All right, what's going to happen to Lazarus? Lazarus is up at Abraham's side, where everyone wants to be, up in heaven. Okay, well, if Lazarus is up there, then, then the rich man's got to not be far behind. Surely he's got something, maybe even something better than Lazarus. No, the rich man is down in Hades being tortured and in torment and in pain, so much so that just he longs for a drop of water to ease his discomfort. There's a lot there. So I ask, what, what's true here? And what's true is that our circumstances are momentary. Our circumstances are momentary. No matter who you are, no matter, no matter what you might have, no matter what tax bracket we might fall in, it's not going to carry over. If you have wealth and, and, and luxury and all these wonderful things, great, it's not going to carry over. If you have pain, if you got suffering, if you got torment, it's not going to carry over. Our circumstances are momentary. I don't think that this is a story that can often be portrayed as that, like, oh, wealth is bad, poverty is good. Sell all you have, strap on sandals made out of tree bark, and follow Jesus. I don't think that that's what this said, though it can be presented that way. I think it's saying that in the light of eternity, we're all on a level playing field. Because either way, it's not getting carried over. So before we go on, I wanted to, to lay that out, lay out that fact that there's a need there that we're gonna find out more about. 
It's not that we can build up all these, all these earthly things and that's going to set us up a certain way in heaven. No, we're, we're all on a level playing field when it comes to eternity. So we have our wrong, that earthly wealth means heavenly rewards, but then what's right is that our earthly decisions impact eternity. Earthly decisions impact eternity. And it might be hard to see that because we live in the moment. We're focused on the momentary. You see, like our time here on earth, there's the momentary in that aspect that the clock is ticking. Okay, we are momentary, but then also we see the momentary things around us. And the problem is that, that we can indeed sense, feel, see, touch the momentary things. And we start to get caught up in all of those, everything that that might entail, and then all of a sudden we're missing the greater implications that are at stake. We could be stressed out in that fact. We could be worried that our earthly decisions, decisions impact eternity because we might be distracted this way or that way Maybe we're seeing that we're starting to get off course. But I want you to also see the joy that's in that as well. That we don't need to pursue all these different things. Our time, our, our attention, pursuing things that are indeed momentary. But instead there's a joy that we get to look at eternal things says that these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. Being able to focus on those three things, faith, hope, and love. So Jesus continues on, says this, but Abraham replied, this is back in the story, but Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place, so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. What stands out to me is in your lifetime, in your lifetime, we have this one lifetime to impact the world around us. Now that sounds big, so let's dwindle it down. What do we mean by world? We mean our communities. We mean our workplaces, our homes, our schools, the places where God has placed us. We have this lifetime to impact those people around us. So what are we gonna choose? What are we gonna choose to do with that lifetime that we are given to go out and share God's love, connecting to his people? We better choose wisely because our earthly decisions impact eternity. We better choose people over possessions. And doing that is very difficult. Because as we talked about earlier in this series, see, when we're no longer put possessions first, that means we're not putting ourselves first. We are no longer masters of our own lives, trying to just get everything that we can while the getting's good in this lifetime. Instead, we're living with our eyes up and looking to people, how we can serve and impact people, choosing people over possessions. We need to choose wisely, choose compassion over comfort. It's 
called a comfort zone for a reason. We like it. We like living inside this comfort zone. We like our routines. We like what we, our different rhythms, right? We like talking to the people that we like to talk to, doing the things that we like to do. It is comfortable, we like it. But I do wonder if compassion exists outside of our comfort zone. Or how can we expand our comfort zone more so that compassion is just part of our daily lives? Might cause us to step outside our comfort zone to go talk to that neighbor and interact with that neighbor that maybe we just wave to every now and then, but don't always remember their names. Might be out of our comfort zone to go across the cafeteria and talk to that kid that most people don't like to talk to. Maybe go and talk to that coworker that's having a hard day as well, choosing compassion over comfort. We better choose wisely. We need to choose investment over ignorance. Here's a funny thing about this story that Jesus tells, right at the, the top, the first section, the rich man knows Lazarus' name. He says, tell, tell Lazarus. So he knows his name. He, he's aware of him, but he chose to ignore him. I mean, he's, he's on his property. He's just outside of his gate. Whether or not he talked to him at all or, or interacted with him, you got to think that the rich man's servants, maybe, when they're going out and doing his business in town, leaving and then coming back, they're like, hey, that guy, Lazarus, yeah, with the sores and the dogs bring him food and whatnot. Yeah, he's still out there. The rich man knows about him. But instead of doing anything about it, he chose to ignore. He chose not to invest, but instead lean towards ignorance. And then with those three things, when we choose people, compassion, and investment, what we're doing is we're putting the future over the fleeting. Choosing to put the future over the fleeting. See, the rich man, he focused in on what was fleeting. With food, possessions, fine garments, all these different things that we're not going to last. They're not going to carry over. The momentary did not last forever. What we see here at the end of this story and what Jesus is getting at is he's uprooting what we see about wealth. He's uprooting what we see about poverty. He offers up that wealth can bring poverty and poverty can bring wealth. I mentioned that this story isn't a story about wealth. Instead, it's a story about need and knowing our needs. Because rich or poor, we all have needs that on our own, we cannot fulfill. That on our own, there are always going to be needs. See, when I was in high school, I had... Uh, well, the first car that I got to really drive around was my family's 1998 Chevy Suburban. I think I talked about it before here once. It was more of a boat than it was a car. Like you saw me coming a mile away, you heard me coming two miles away. I love that car. All my friends could fit in it. We could go out to, you know, go get ice cream, go get food, go play sports, whatever it was. People gave me a wide berth on the highway when they saw a 17-year-old kid driving this tank. So I love this thing. The only problem was that the gas gauge did not work. It was always on empty. I did not know the need there, and I, I would kind of address it here and there. 
I would kind of throw 20 bucks in the tank like, oh, I, think, I hope that that's enough. I'm living on this hope that I'm going to make it from point A to point B, but I never addressed the problem because life was good. I was able to fit all my friends in. It was doing everything that I wanted it to do. There was no need to actually get in there and see what was going on. And so when we talk about this story being a story about need and not about, you know, like wealth is bad, poverty is good, I just think that sometimes when things are going well, we don't feel the need to face our needs. We don't, might not think it's necessary. Like, everything's still all good. I have everything that I could want. Surely there's not much more there. But you see, Lazarus, he was totally aware of his needs, faced with that. There wasn't much else going on other than just knowing fully that what he had was not enough. Jesus finishes out the story in verse 27. He answered, this is the rich man. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family. For I have five brothers. Let him warn them so they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Why won't they be convinced? It's because when we have been so used to living our lives this a certain way, where we are enough and we don't need, we don't see our needs and there's no need for anything else because life is good and, and the car's still running and everything's just fine. We're still hanging out with who we want to hang out with. See, we build that up and then our hearts get hardened so we don't see our needs. Choosing instead to live on our assumptions rather than know our needs. Now I say that knowing that that is an absolutely terrifying thing. All of a sudden, we are faced with the fact that everything that we're doing that's relying on ourselves and what we can do, that that's not enough. When it comes to the standing in eternity and God's love, what we do is, is not enough. Every, all the wealth that we get up, all these different things, but the only thing that's enough is the love of Jesus Christ. Here's the great thing about this particular story. Out of all the parables, all the different stories that Jesus told, Lazarus is the only character that is named. Usually it was like a, a young ruler or a widow or a servant, master, whatever it was, but Lazarus gets a name. Why is that? Because Lazarus means, loosely, God will help. God will help. He was given that name because here's someone that's aware of their needs, someone that is faced with them every single day, and he is certain that God will help. As certain as we are that we are in, indeed in need, we can be certain of our needs. We can also be certain that God will help. Now, why can we be certain about that? It's because in his great wealth, he became poor. 
It's in 2 Corinthians, it's in chapter eight. I'm gonna read it because I want you to hear it. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. We might not think that there's a lot of wealth in admitting our needs, but you see, when we admit our needs, that's when the wealth of Christ gets to step into place. We receive that every time that we come to the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. You see, we were never gonna be enough. Everything that we did to try to earn it was never gonna be enough. And Christ, God saw, our, God saw our poverty. He saw where we were and what we needed. That any wealth that we could attain here was not gonna be enough, but we could only ever have true wealth when we accepted Christ's love in our lives. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus took bread. We had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup, said, this is my new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me to the king. Tonight, I hope that this message and this story hits a tone of encouragement for you. That, yeah, we're in need. We are in need. We are in immense need. But thank goodness that we have a God that meets our needs and so much more. Even when we don't see it, even when we don't understand it, God meets our needs time and time again in our great poverty, we get to see his immense wealth. So if tonight you're here and you need, you're in need, and maybe you, you wanna take some time and pray with somebody to see that encouragement that's there, the true wealth, I'll be down here. I'd love to pray with you. I know Tammy will be here as well and be praying for people as well. We'd love to, to pray with you uh, tonight, but also if you're here tonight and you are hearing this and saying, man, I've been going at it myself. I've been, I've been trying to just get all that I can in all this and I'm seeing that, man, it's a level playing field when it comes to eternity and you wanna take part in the great wealth and be baptized into the family of God, we'd love to celebrate that with you together this evening. Would you stand and pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful, Lord, for your immense wealth that meets us in our immense poverty. Lord, I hope that we hear that tonight and are encouraged that it's, it's not on our shoulders, Lord. Lord, we cannot go it alone. Instead, we get to look to you, admitting our needs and be made more than full in your love, your grace, your peace. Let us take hope in that every day, Lord, and look to you. Look to the Son. In your name we pray. Amen.
after me. I believe, I believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is the, Christ the, son of the, living God, the Son of the living God and I take him as my Lord and Savior. Because of your confession of faith, we now baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Shine through the shine. 
my friends, so let's go shout it from the mountains <laughs> as we go that the most people would know the love of Jesus. And my friends, have a great week, and we'll see you next time.